All right, good morning, church. If you would turn open to Revelation chapter 13. This is a chapter you've all been waiting for. The beast, the mark of the beast. We got it. We're solving it all today. You ready? No, we're not solving anything. But we are going to get a perspective, I believe, from the Lord in order to encourage us for endurance and faith of the saints, which is the last part of verse 10. That is the thrust for the encouragement of God's people. All right, let's get into this. Revelation 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a a mouth-uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to execute authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemes against God, and blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of of the Lamb who, who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that is, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that, is, that was wounded by the sword and yet, yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the, or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who understands, who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Jesus, we want to hear you speaking to us. Spirit, give us your illumination, but we ask for endurance we ask for faith as we your saints come to you we love you in jesus name amen all right this is perhaps the most popular passage in all of the book of revelation maybe even the entire bible and countless hours have been devoted to decoding the beasts and the mark of the beast 
And we need to be reminded again, though, that an important guiding principle as we're going through this study is that when we see uh, images and signs, this is not necessarily primarily for decoding. It's for declaration. This doesn't mean that there won't be an opportunity for literal figures to be the beast as it's being described. But the guiding principle helps us not get bogged down in the literal figure, uh, which is happening over and over and over again through the years. If we focus too much on decoding, we miss out on the encouragement toward faithful living that this vision conveys. Now, in the flow of this vision to John that he's receiving, the dragon in chapter 12, the dragon has left the pursuit of the child in order to turn his attention to the woman and her offspring, meaning he's turning his attention to the church and all the disciples that will come as the gospel goes forth. This chapter informs us how the dragon, who we know is Satan, will carry out his war on the church. Satan's plan is to deceive the world by counterfeiting God and counterfeiting the work of Christ. He's mimicking the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Spirit. This is, in essence, an unholy trinity. We have three principal characters revealed in this chapter. The chapter the first is the dragon. It's Satan. He is the force behind the two beasts. We have the beast of the sea. And we're going to see that the, uh, the beast of the sea represents political power. It represents the state. And the beast of the earth, we learn from Revelation 19.20, that this is a false prophet. So the beast of, that comes from the earth is a religious system, a religious power that has uh, uh, allegiance to the political power, the beast of the sea. Remember, um, we looked at this chapter 12, that something coming from the sea usually meant a kingdom that was coming against the people of God. Now, I do believe that the first beast is the Antichrist. Now, the word Antichrist doesn't appear in the book of Revelation. It appears in First and Second John, same author, but he is giving uh, understanding of who this is. John tells his readers in his letters uh, that, that the Antichrist is more than a person. It's an attitude can be a person, but it's an attitude, a posture, and a spiritual movement against the person and work of Christ. The Antichrist and Antichrists seek to divert the locus of redemption away from Jesus and put it on man, and we see here, put it on a false Christ, put it on a person. The prefix anti, it means against, but, but more so in the New Testament, it means instead of. Satan's mimicking God to be instead of God. He's deceiving others to believe him instead of God. And this revelation of Satan as the force behind the beast is the Antichrist and Antichrist that John says has come into the world. So we see that the dragon, Satan himself, is trying to mimic the work of the Father. The first beast is trying to mimic the work of, the, uh, of Jesus, who is, remember, the first beast is wounded, and then he's healed. He's mimicking a resurrection. And then the second beast is instead of the Holy Spirit, the one who is giving breath. The Spirit gives breath to us. We see that in the Old Testament and the New, as, as Aaron said, with Acts chapter 2, the beginning of that is the Spirit descended upon them, and they were all uh, together in one place. So this is an unholy trinity. And sadly, I have to admit that Star, War, Star Wars Episode One is a good analogy for this. 
no one, because Gen Zers want to say, let's watch Star Wars episode in chronological order, not in theatrical release order, one through, is it nine now? That's bad. You got to watch, because you watch episodes one, two, and three, and you get to episode four, Luke, he doesn't say Luke, uh, I am your father, no suspense whatsoever. We, we heard that, we went, what? And then you have to wait years to get an explanation. There's no more suspense. But I digress. <laughs> Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, really does a good job of portraying this unholy trinity. You have the dark side of the Force. That's why I've named this the dark side of spiritual conflict. You have the dark side of the Force that... Uh, Senator Palpatine, who then becomes Emperor Palpatine, he represents kind of the first beast, beast uh, Darth Sidious. He's got this thing going on. So who's the emperor's worker? Who's the one bringing worship to the emperor? Who's the one recruiting others to the dark side of the force? Darth Vader, the second beast. So it helps. <laughs> but you know... What we find and what we recognize, and this happens uh, also, you, you see even in movies, with the, now the fascinations with the multiverse going on, you, people, we, are, we are spiritual beings, and we have this capacity to understand something beyond us. It's intriguing, we look for the answers there, but we know the answer is Christ himself, but we, we can look at the world and culture and gain understanding, so... George Lucas, who writes Star Wars Episode One, maybe he's got other idea, ideas being thrown at him. It's not an accident that he's giving something that portrays the spiritual reality that's existing right now that John is seeing and then writing down for us to understand. It's in all of us. We understand it's there. That's why Romans 1, nobody has an excuse that God's never spoken to them or revealed himself. We know it. We can look at a creation and we know it. So, the truth, here's our main point for today, the truth for the church in this passage is the reminder of our security in Christ and encouragement that we will not be swept away as the, in the chaos of the world's political and religious systems. This vision is a call for endurance and faith. Let's capture that. This is for our endurance as the people of God and the church of God. This is for our faith in what Christ has done for us. And the security to know that we, if we are Christ, we're not going to get swept away in the chaos. Because there's coming chaos. So let's look at the beast from the sea, the first eight verses. Remember, he is... The beast from the sea is going to be a false Christ. So, one, he's imaging the dragon... He's got ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems. The dragon only had seven diadems, so maybe he's giving a little more beauty or, or appeal to this first beast. But this is to mimic Jesus' revelation of himself from chapter 5 in Revelation. He is imaging the dragon like Jesus images the Father. Remember Colossians 1.19 tells us that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, and he is the uh, Hebrews one. He is the exact imprint of his nature. You look at Jesus tells his disciples, "If you've seen me, who you've seen the Father." 
But now this beast comes imaging the dragon, trying to deceive everybody. He has blasphemous names on his head, whereas Jesus has worthy names as the full representation of the Father on the earth. So he images the dragon, but he's also instructing politics. The images of the leopard, bear, and lion coincide with what we see in Daniel's revelation of Daniel chapter 7. Those animals represented separate world powers that were to unfold. And the, one was Babylon, the other was the Medo-Persian Empire, and then Greece. And then the fourth one that, that Daniel saw didn't have an animal description. It was just terrifying. And remember, it had, it, his jaws were crushed, his teeth were crushing everything, crushing iron. And that could have been, I think it was, it started with Rome. But it was more than that. But what we have here is these images are collected to represent world powers as they go through uh, history, as they go through human history. Remember, everything is on this, this uh, cycle toward the final fulfillment of Jesus coming to the earth. And, and everything is reaching a crisis moment for that final crisis to come. Now, the beast is all of these at the same time we can conclude that the beast is a sign of world powers and politics that ends up being the beast and ends up being beastly. Daniel and John, I think, are seeing the exact same thing with Daniel's vision and this vision that John receives. Worldly geopolitical powers that act beastly due to their rebellion against God. The images of the animals let us know how God sees these kingdoms. Where they might look appealing, God sees them as beastly. You leave man up to himself in his sinfulness and rebellion and pride, he'll act like an animal. This is how God sees kingdoms, how he sees rulers, and how he sees governments of the world. They are beastly. Daryl Johnson, in his commentary, Discipleship on the Edge, he says this, political powers do not set out to be bestial. They set out to be their own master. And in the process, they turn bestial. No one can be God but God. When the state seeks to be God, it does not become divine. It becomes demonic. And it becomes a servant of Satan, we see. Now, every government that has existed on this earth and exists presently on this earth is seeking to be God. I love this country. We celebrate our independence tomorrow. I love this country and I am thankful. I am thankful that we get to do this without fear of persecution. We don't have to do this in silent. We don't all have to exit different doors to not be caught by people. We have a wonderful country to worship in. I'm thankful for the ability uh, and the, the foresight of... Now, our country is got a lot of history in me. I actually spent the past uh, Thursday and Friday uh, with my younger brother driving a car and a dog back from New York City. It's a long story I can explain afterwards. But my younger brother has a PhD in history. And his topic and specialty is international relations. So 
This is like, oh, he's a source for me. I'm going to learn a lot so I can preach this. So there's, and, and what part of our discussion, I was describing this to him. As you know, it seems that the United States is being set up differently. Gives, you know, every other country had a figurehead and went, to, and that figurehead went to go look for a religious system that would support it. First beast, second beast. The United States was different. The United States, remember, the Northeast got their shapes, the states got their shapes because of religious connection. I won't go into, I mean, it's cool. The Catholics were in Maryland. Uh, the Puritans were up in Massachusetts. Uh, the Baptists were in Connecticut, Rhode Island. And the universities that you have there represented that. And the Presbyterians were in New Jersey. That's why you have Princeton there. That's why you have uh, Brown University in Rhode Island, Baptist University. The Harvard was started by the Puritans. Uh, Yale, that's all to, they said, we need to train our people. We need to train the religious leaders of the future as we go. That's how the Ivy League got started. But we in our country, and I I think part of the difficulty that... Not difficulty. I think part of the reason that we are, that we were successful in our, that God blessed us, blessed our prayers to overturn uh, Roe versus Wade a couple weeks ago. I think part of that is because how we were founded. We were founded by saying, let people worship the way they want to worship. So it didn't start with a figurehead. It started with just, let's have freedom to worship. That's good. And we need to speak up for that. I'm glad that the, the Supreme Court put down another opinion that let a coach in, was it Washington or Oregon, to pray on his own at, on the football field after a game. He's been fighting that for six years. I'd have given up. But I'm, I'm glad that we have that. I'm glad that. But listen, church, we know the hearts of men and women and the pride that exists in those who do not have the Spirit of God alive in them. And when we live for pride, we are Satan's servants, simply put. So we are grateful, but we are aware. We are aware. We celebrate, but we're aware. Now the dragon is giving the beast his throne and his authority. It's limited. Remember, we always see this, it's given to him. But this means that the state becomes the servant of Satan. And I think the fourth beast, the fourth beast that Daniel saw because it was indiscriminate. We didn't know what it looked like, but you know what it did? I think this is the beast from the sea in this chapter. And I think, and, and, and Daniel sees, I believe, seven heads, seven horns, and then a little horn comes up. I think the little horn that he sees is a final literal human figure that will be revealed as the beast, the Antichrist, the capital A Antichrist at the end of time, as the, everything moves toward this final crisis uh, before Jesus returns. And I think these beastly kingdoms provide a cycle of kingdoms that will one day give way to one completely different one who brings the world to new levels of worship and the church to new levels of persecution. I think this is why John says that many antichrists have come. There's, there's, uh, there's many manifestations of this, type, this, this fourth beast that Daniel saw, this beast that comes out of the sea. 
And it follows the same way that the seals and the trumpets and we'll see the bowls that reveal a cycle of world events that will lead to a final culmination right before Jesus returns. Now remember, this is given to the seven churches at the beginning of this book. They need endurance. They're living through this first beast as it's seen in Rome. But they didn't understand that it was going to keep on going and it would perpetuate and many nations and kingdoms would resemble this first beast. Now, it's instructing politics, but it's also imitating Jesus. There seemed to have been a mortal wound on this first beast. And the the dragon, listen, can only resuscitate his power over and over again in differing manifestations. He cannot resurrect. Only Jesus has been resurrected. So every time a government falls, the devil just goes to a different part of the world and, and resuscitates it with his deceptions and with his lies. But either way, the beast lures people into commitment and devotion through a miraculous imitation of resurrection. Remember how Saddam Hussein spoke of being another Nebuchadnezzar? It's resuscitating, trying to bring it back. The dragon continues his demonic reign with whatever next man up can be there. The beast has people worshiping past him. He, he's, he loves the worship, but he's giving worship also to the dragon. They're worshiping the dragon. Uh, so this will be worshiping something higher. People love to worship ideas. We love to worship forces behind the scenes. And the beast seems to have immense power. Who can fight against it? People are asking. It's, it's useless. Don't fight against it. Think of all the regimes who have complete control authoritarian regimes in the world today. Think of China, Russia, Afghanistan, North Korea, many Muslim countries who control everything. It's hard to be the church in those places. That's why it's endurance and faith of the saints. But listen, this this beast resembles Jesus also in his command that he's able to rule over tribes and people, nations and languages, languages and nations. He has some effect. But as he gets people to look at him, rather than speak greatly of Jesus and of the Father, he's blaspheming. So he's initiating all these blasphemies. The dragon and the beast hate God. And they will go on the attack to lie about him. Haughty words. Pointing to the autonomy of man with no need for God. If you really can think through for yourself, you'll come to the understanding that God's not there. You don't need him. And his work, again, we're told, is for 42 months. This, we looked at several, uh, a couple different times that this is the length of the church. From Jesus' uh, work on the cross and ascension, resurrection and ascension, to when he returns. Same, that 42 months, three and a half years. His ministry was three and a half years on the earth. So that represents the ministry of the church with gospel proclamation until he returns. But I do think there will be a final figure a man that will be this little horn from Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. It says, Daniel 7 verse 8 says, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. 
think this also is what Jesus referred to in Mark 13, verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This abomination of desolation was the exact phrase that Daniel used, that one Antiochus Epiphanes represented before Jesus came, was, was before his first advent, before he was born on the earth. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple and declared himself to be God and then declared that a pig would be sacrificed on the altar, desecrating the altar uh, in the name of Zeus. So he was trying to get everybody. He was that political beast coming in and trying to get everybody to worship uh, a higher power, Zeus. But Paul also describes this Antichrist, this beast, this first beast in Thessalonians 2.3. How about 2 Thessalonians? Let no one de- I'm excited about this message. That's why I can't get it out. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. I think this is moving toward a final figure who will represent the beast. Right now, I do believe we are, we're working in this uh, repetition and foretastes of the final beast, the first beast, the beast that comes from the sea. He also incites war. Remember again, we said that he was allowed God is still in control, church. He conquers saints, though, but he does not destroy them. Conquering is not the same as destruction. But listen, this war is toward, he he captures the earth dwellers. But listen, if we are saints of the living God, if we have the spirit of God in us by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death in our place and his resurrection over death to free us from that, reigning now in all glory. Listen, if we are believers, if we are saved by the blood of Christ, we're not earth dwellers. We're heaven dwellers. We're sojourners. This, we have a different address. We have a different zip code. This is not our final home. But earth dwellers walk around as if this is all there is because they know no better. And so how does Satan deal with these earth dwellers? 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? We have all these verses that are describing conflict. They're describing the dark side of spiritual conflict. But the beast will not be able to blind... Heaven dwellers, sojourners who have their heavenly address through the finished work of Christ and his redemption for us. And then it turns to, hey, as as you're thinking about the political systems and the kings and rulers who will come and and they will mimic Jesus, perhaps. They will force everybody to worship or be persecuted. There's always the promise of security in Christ, security in the Lamb. There's also, we see verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Look at that. Written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. So sometimes we can roll right over that. But listen. Through no moral attraction that we have, God, before he said, let there be light, 
saw us and said, I want you, and I want you, and I want you. Knowing the, the pride and rebellion that we would exist in before, before surrendering our lives to Christ and Him opening our minds to the work of Christ, we have security through election. Our names were written before the foundation of the world from eternity past due to God's sovereign and free choice to choose us for himself. Did you choose Jesus? Yes. But our choice of him was a response to his choice of us. Isn't that wonderful? And it's freeing. Because this is how it's freeing. If, if it's not all up to me to get myself into Christ, to be saved, then it's not all up to me to stay in Christ. We have the presence and power of the Spirit to sustain us in Him. We have grace, and we have the promise of grace. We have the promise of God's love never leaving us. So He brings us to Him, and He sustains us in Him. That's, that's our hope. Ephesians 1 reiterates that. I'll let you look at that. But look, this book of life is a great register of names. So there is a security in God's choice of us. There's also security of our faith in him. That we, we do not have to fear being deceived. If we know the truth, we'll be free in the truth and not fall for the deception of the beast. Because the lamb keeps those who are his own. And he keeps them securely. John 18, 9, Jesus said to his disciples, those, uh, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. What peaceful security. So we have this security in God choosing us. We have a security in our choice of him and trust in him. So now we have a security for our future. And this is where the call is for endurance and faith. God will give us grace for our future. He will be there for our future as we live on, uh, for him and upon him because he's great and glorious as God. And now we have the beast from the earth. The beast from the sea is a political power, uh, worldly geopolitical powers and rulers. Now this beast from the earth who comes alongside the first beast points to him for worship and compels all the, all the world to follow the beast. He is the unholy spirit working the dragon's plan to exalt the first beast. And this represents how religious institutions have come alongside political powers throughout the generations of human history to uh, within the New Testament period, our, our closer history. Uh, comes alongside political powers to codify devotion and to coerce devotion. The second beast is also a repeated pattern throughout history, but the second beast is masquerading an authority. The dragon's given this beast something of the lamb's authority as well. Just like Jesus said, I'm sending you another helper. There's two horns of the lamb that this second beast has. So it's mimicking the, the work of the spirit, not putting people into Christ, but drawing them away and worshiping the first beast, whether that be an ideology or a particular nationalism or a person, a person who promises freedom, a person who promises peace and hope, who is not Christ. 
This second beast will coerce devotion while alongside the political power because he craves his own power. Now, think of countries that have state-recognized religions. China has a state-recognized church. Russia has a state-recognized church. North Korea has a state-recognized church. They all have state-recognized churches that pledge allegiance to the leader or to the party or to the government. Now, within our context in the United States, I would say the United States is moving toward the religion of secularism, humanism. And what is being cloaked in there is scientism. Now, when everybody says, listen to the science, that's not science. Uh, there's, to throw that out there as if science becomes this rational and objective thing. It just doesn't work quite like that. But when science begins to tell you the reason for your here and the future that you have, it's no longer science. It's, it's stepped into philosophy. So it's scientism. So when we hear people say, listen to the science, we have to be discerning to say they probably mean listen to the scientism because it's another belief system that's being here. But it's cloaked under this secularism. The secularism that says, hey, if you really are objective, you'll be on our team. If you're really rational, you'll be on our team. And you'll agree with everything that we say. Now, what I think is happening in this country is there, and this is both camps, left and right. I think it's both camps to certain extents. Now, there's, there's this ideology push with secularism. What I think the religion, the second beast that's trying to promote the secularism is media. Because media plays on everybody's fear. And that's what the second beast does. It sows fear into everybody. You watch the news for 10 seconds. They're trying to make you afraid of something. Fearing people. Fearing death. Fearing pain. How about this? Fearing poverty. So this subtle thing that comes in. Oh, you fear poverty? You need to agree with us in order to buy and sell. This is real stuff. And this is on the ground. Because uh, the state religion, I think, of the United States is push. is to try to get this secularism to everybody agree. And the secularists are the ones giving a, being, being given authority. College campuses, the secularists have all the authority. If you, if you speak a word of even intelligent design or a creator, pff, we don't have time for you. You're silenced and you're even mocked. How can you be so ridiculous? You're supposed to be smart. This beast persuades people to make idols of the first beast and to serve it. This is where, I think this is where the, the pitfalls of progressivism and fascism end up. It persuades these idols, like this will save you. This will be your, your, your ticket to freedom and hope and peace. And that's resembled, I mean, I, I just think how many believers saw Adolf Hitler as this first beast, promising everything. And if you don't commit, we're going to put you in a concentration camp to try to change your mind. If you can't change your mind, we'll just rid you from this earth. This beast, this second beast, uh, will, will make political platforms everything to live for. And this beast will also seek to silence all other authorities. And for us, in our day, secularism is seeking to silence biblical authority. No, 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 no. We have this humanism. We have 
authority is in us. So this second beast is masquerading authority and also masquerading power. He does the same things as Moses and Elijah. Elijah calling down fire from heaven. See, he's mimicking, combating, attacking, uh, not, not... not necessarily directly, he's attacking the two witnesses from the church. Remember, this is the proclamation of the gospel going forward. And now the second beast says, oh, that's your message? Here's going to be my message. And I'm going to do it. It's going to have the appearance of this miraculous power to try to persuade people to go with it. And this second beast, we're told, gives breath to the image of the beast. He gives breath to the image. This is careful to think about. He gives breath to the image. He gives breath to the idolatry. Mimicking, like, if you make this idol, I'll I'll put some life into it, and it really will be something that you can understand and think about. It really gives fuel to the fire of pride. The second beast promises life to those who are sold out in their devotion. So think about it in our day. Legalization of same-sex marriage. The second beast has come in saying, oh, no, no, if you really want to live, we, you need to have this. And if you're sold out to it, you'll really discover the life that you want. But we know, listen, we know, church, anybody who's living contrary to how God has designed them is not finding themselves. They're losing themselves. This is also in the transgender movement that's happening, the revolution that's seeking now to allow kids to change their gender without parental authority coming in. I read years ago that uh, there was, I haven't looked in to see if the law passed, but there was a law in the California state legislature trying to be passed into law to make it illegal for parents to name their children or assign a gender, recognize a gender. They didn't want their parents to recognize a gender until that child was five years old and could decide for him or herself. That's nonsensical. But yet, people who are sold out to the ideology, sold out to this, like, oh, yes, that's a great move. We need to move in that direction. Look, naming someone... It's not just because a parent has authority. It's because a parent's expressing a loving authority. Recognizing a gender is simply recognizing what God has done. But when a government wants to be God, they have no time for God, so we get to call the shots. And now we have the collision of this spiritual conflict that we have. Just as a sidebar, I thought of this last night. I think the Lord just wants me to bring this up. In cultural conversations, I heard this on the radio the other day. Uh, somebody who said, if you are pro-life and you are interested in saving the life of a baby, why are you, a, why are you pro-death penalty? So they're seeing this difference of, if you're pro-life, how can you be pro-death penalty if you're pro-life? What's missing in the middle? Somebody who's on death row is not there because they want to be. Somebody on death row is there, why? Because they've taken another life. What we stand for is the value of every life. And we do have a biblical, morally uh, sound understanding from the Old Testament that God, he values life. And he says, if you're going to take that valuable life, you will pay with it with your valuable life. 
We value the life of the person on death row. Absolutely we do. But when we look at this, if you're pro-life, you've got to be pro-life in everything. No, we value life. That's why we're pro-life. We value the life of the unborn. We value the life of the one who is murdered. And we value the life of the one who is on death row. We value life. Is that helpful? Because you, we just hear things. Just, the Lord just kind of dropped it in my heart last night. I hope it's helpful. Now, this second beast, in masquerading his power, is also the gatekeeper for the first beast. And usually religion is the gatekeeper for political power. Letting, letting, uh, holding the ticker on who gets to come in and who doesn't. And his gatekeeping is actually marking people for the beast. We, I think we see this gatekeeping in the academy, in higher education, and we also see it in the media. Uh, and our, our temptation toward idolatry is, is making subtle commitments to thing that, things, those things that we fear. So we have to be on guard that sometimes we, we get distracted or we might, might be convinced of something and have to be reminded, no, what, God, what do you say about this? And then he's given this mark of the beast, this 666. Remember I said uh, a few weeks ago when we were looking at God marking his people on their forehead, uh, I do not think this is a literal mark on the hand or the forehead. But yet, when we hear of things like a computer chip being put in the hand, even though I don't think it's the mark of the beast, it's, point, it's, it's an antichrist. It's playing on fear. So we exercise discernment. We, the, the, the role for the church is not to stand back and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, him, him, he's the Antichrist. That's not the necessary role of the church. The necessary role of the church is this. It's all over the place. And people hate God. I want to live by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. That's our role. That's our role. But this mark, I don't think, just like the mark of God is not literal, I don't think this is a literal uh, marking of the beast, but... It's a counterfeit marking. The devil's trying to mimic the marking as well. But I think it's representative of character, the forehead representative of character, and even thoughts. I think the, the forehead represents thoughts, and the action, uh, the hand is actions. So these are people who, have, who are characterized by the beast. And they're given, interestingly, by the religious authorities. They're given by the gatekeepers. That's who gives the mark. Of the beast. That's the one who says, okay, you can come in. Oh, okay, you can buy. Because they're looking for something spiritually. And then we have this number, 666. You can, I, I know years ago I was at a fast food restaurant. And it, back when a meal was less than $10, um, it was $6.66. And the guy was like, you sure you don't want to add something else to that? <laughs> So even people who just live life, they know this number, this 666. So how do we think about it? Um, and because John says, hey, calculate it. Understand. He who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast. This is, uh, gematria is, is a, a, back in the first century, they didn't have, like, we use numbers more often uh, they didn't, and in Hebrew and Greek, they would assign, people would assign, and we do it sometimes for decoding fun with our alphabet that we have, but they would assign a letter with a number. And when you add up the letters, you get something from that. Uh, the word beast adds up to 666. 
So it could simply just mean that. Martin Luther adds up to 666. Nero adds up to 666. Nero Kaiser. So a lot of things add up to 666. A lot of people can be identified as this beast. <laughs> so the purpose is not for us to figure that out. And people thought Ronald Reagan was 666 because he, each of his three names had six letters in them. So it was six in the first name, six in the second name, middle name, six in the last name. So we can look. We, and everybody, who, we can all be creative to figure out who this 666 is. But what is it? I think it points to... Um, you remember, seven is the number of completeness. It's the number of God. Where six is the number of man, incompleteness. I think the repetition of three times means that this is consistently inconsistent with God. This is completely unequal to God. This is completely falling short of God. It's completely incomplete. When you take Jesus' name in the Greek, Iesus, and you do the gematria, it equals 888. That's kind of cool. When you add all the letters up, meaning Jesus, he supersedes everything. He's the king. So not so much for us to get down to the nitty-gritty in, but just to recognize there is a marking through thoughts, through character, how we behave, also the actions that we put our hands to. And we, we're able to discern that in the world, but as the people of God, we have to be able to have those marked on our foreheads that it is a character, it's thoughts of God that express themselves through our obedience to God and His greatness. All right, I'll remind us again. I went back and looked. Uh, we preached through Daniel back in the fall of 2016. And I went and read uh, my message from this October 2016, from Daniel chapter 7. I was like, hey, cool. I'm like consistent in what I'm thinking here. I didn't like change or anything. But uh, that, that series was called Standing Amid Culture's Currents. And that's what I find is a fitting reminder for us in terms of what is God, how does God want us to respond to this? This is a call for us to stand firm and endure In faith. That's what this is for. So we are called to stand amidst culture's currents because we feel them. We feel them. Now, there's a standing for righteousness amid the cultural current. That's what we're, this is not like go away and just figure out something until Jesus returns. This is no, we stand for the righteousness, but we are proclaiming the gospel while we're doing that. And we're reminded in Revelation 10, verse 11, they have conquered him. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, as they loved not their lives even unto death. What's the world looking for us in us, church? They're looking for something opposite from their own pride that's self-seeking and self-centered. They're looking for people who live upon God who is eternal. So we conquer. We, we might be conquered and one day, one day, just reality, I hope it's long, Time to this, but one, rea one, one day the United States of America will not be a free place to worship God. Because we just have it from the scriptures. Because all these servants of Satan in the governments, they just come and they, they move God out of the way. But 
we are the church that will continue on proclaiming the gospel as a light into a dark and lost world. So as believers, we must not fall into the trap of thinking that the answer to the religious beast is to point to a better first beast. We don't do that. We must be sure that our allegiance is to Christ over and above any political figure or any political platform. We need not to, we need not to be found to love America more than Jesus. We need, like, uh, you drive through Texas, you see the Texas state flags usually higher than the United States of America flag. I hate that, but it happens. You see, you drive across Texas, and all of a sudden, the Texas flag is higher than everything. Oh, it's arrogant. And they're like, yep, sure is. It's intentional. We need to see, people need to see that our flag for Jesus, the banner of his love over us, it's higher. It's higher than the United States of America. But we love this country. We're, we're appreciative. We're appreciative of that. But this is for our living by the blood of the Lamb, faith in the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimony because we love Jesus more than our own lives. Amen. All right, we are going to celebrate communion together. Uh, and to do this, we simply, we're just going to remind ourselves of the commission that we have. And, and remember, communion is, uh, it's the gospel for our eyes. So we remember, and this is the focal point of our lives, is to remember who we are as the body of Christ. So as, uh, if you are a believer in Jesus, and you have trusted Christ for salvation, you are welcomed to this table. Uh, but also, if you're not a believer in Jesus... Would you please repent now and trust him with everything that you are and join us for the communion table? We want you in the kingdom of God because God chose us and he's choosing other people and we want to celebrate that as well. Uh, and parents, uh, your discretion is uh, for your children as well, for them to be ready uh, in having saving faith in order for them to receive communion as well. Okay, if you would come up in the middle aisle, receive the elements, but then take them back to your chairs and we'll take them at the same time.